Hey, Christ community, welcome to our on-demand service. It is great to be with you. Today, we are concluding a five-week teaching series in which we've been looking at this issue of relational connection. How can we grow in our experience of relational connectedness? As we have said all along, this is not, this is not just a church question. This is a life question. Our experience of relational connection has a huge impact on our quality of life emotionally, physically and spiritually. One of the most thorough relational research studies ever done revealed that the primary contributor to overall happiness and health is connected relationships. The quality of our relationships is a better predictor of physical health than our cholesterol levels or our genetics. We are created by God for relational connection, which is why this topic that we've been looking at for the past five weeks is so vitally important We live in a culture where there is so much relational disconnection and pain and dysfunction. People are looking for healthy relational connection, but that can sometimes be difficult to find. And this is where God's heart is so powerfully on display. God not only created us for relationships as human beings, he also created a context in which people, all people can experience deep, healthy relational connection. And that context is the church, not the church as a building, but the church as a family. God designed his church to be a thriving family where people can experience healthy relational connections. And so in this series, we've been looking at a passage of scripture in in the book of Acts chapter two, where we see this relational family dynamic happening. And we've been discovering these core relational practices that are essential for healthy relational connection, commitment, acceptance, vulnerability, and truth. If you missed any of those messages, I encourage you to listen to it. Each of these is a crucial part of relational connectedness, being the thriving family that God longs for us to be. Okay, well, today I want us to explore one more crucial element in relational connectedness that we see in this passage in Acts 2, and that is mutual contribution. In a healthy relational dynamic, everyone contributes to the good of the others. I mean, this is true in work teams, sports teams, small groups, in a marriage, in a family. Healthy relational connection requires mutual contribution where everyone plays a critical role, a vital role. Everyone contributes to the good of the team. Now, we see this dynamic playing out in a powerful way in the church in Acts chapter 2 as these new believers in Jesus are regularly gathering together. We see on display this mutual contribution to the good of others. Look, Look with me, beginning in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I mean, what I love about this picture is that ministry is happening organically. There isn't this top-down corporate structure where only the apostles or the pastors get to do ministry stuff. No, everyone gets to do stuff. Everyone is contributing. Some people are opening their homes to have people over, you know, to gather there. Some people are contributing food to those gatherings. Uh, Other people are actually selling possessions to give to someone in need. I mean, it is this beautiful picture of people being family. Everyone is contributing to the good of others. 
Okay, so what is it that creates this relational dynamic? Well, I want us to dig a little further into the text here because in it, we discover a core heart posture that makes this happen. Look again at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Okay, so what does this mean that they had everything in common? This is not talking about, oh, we have so much in common. We love hiking and cooking and craft beer and Jesus. You know, that's not what's happening here. We know from earlier in Acts chapter 2 that the Jews that had gathered in Jerusalem for this celebration of Pentecost, they didn't have a lot in common. We're told in verse 9 that this group was made up of, I mean, check this out, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. All these people from very different backgrounds and cultures were in Jerusalem when the day of Pentecost happened. So this was not a group of people that naturally had a lot in common. They were very different from very different cultures. But once they came to Christ, they began gathering together as family. Now, here's what is so cool. Right here at the beginning of this thing called church, right when it forms, we see this beautiful ethnic diversity on display. I mean, God is clearly demonstrating his desire for his family on earth to reflect a diversity of cultures and ethnicities. Okay, so again, we're told that this very diverse group of, of new believers in Jesus had everything in common. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, this word translated had literally means to hold. It's most often used when talking about someone's resources, things that they own. To have something is to own it. It is mine. But here in verse 44, there is a shift in perspective. These people, according to this verse, had everything in common. In other words, rather than holding their resources for themselves, they viewed their resources through the lens of the community. They had an open-handed attitude toward all of their resources, their time, their possessions, their abilities, their spiritual gifts. In other words, they were continually asking this question, how can my resources be used for the common good? How can my spiritual gifts, my passions, my experiences, my possessions be used to bless others in this spiritual family? I mean, this, this is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. I mean, these people who days earlier had been living for themselves suddenly find themselves in this spiritual family where they are eager and willing to share of their resources for the benefit of this community of which they were a part. So the question is, how does that happen? What, what, what would cause these people to experience such a profound shift in perspective where all these things they had previously viewed as their own resources, they now held with an open hand, wanting to use them to help others in this spiritual family? Well, the answer to that question is, is right here in, 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 in this passage. This has Jesus all over it. I mean, that's what caused this huge transformation in these people. They met Jesus in a real and personal way. When we embrace the gift of salvation that Jesus offers and we realize the amazing spiritual resources that are now 
ours in Christ as a total demonstration of God's grace, his undeserved favor towards us. When we, when we realize all of that, suddenly we view our lives and our resources through a completely different lens, the lens of love, a genuine concern and care for other people. Friends, this is at the core of God's heart. This is at the core of the spiritual family that God has established on earth, his church. It, it is to be a reflection of his heart of love for people a love that is more than just words. It's a love that takes action. It's a love that helps other people. Now, one of the most powerful illustrations of this heartbeat is found in a parable that Jesus told in the book of Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about the the first greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So he's talking about these with an expert in the law and an expert that the expert in the law then ask Jesus, well, then if this greatest second greatest command is love your neighbor as yourself, this, this expert said, who, who, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus responds by telling the story of a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers who beat him up and they stole his money. And so as he's laying by the side of the road, half dead, a priest, a religious leader, walks by and sees this man in need, and then he chooses to pass by on the other side. And then Jesus says in the story, another religious leader, a worship leader, a Levite, that's what the Levites did, did does the exact same thing. He sees the man in need, and he chooses to walk by on the other side of the road. They they don't want to get involved. They're too busy, too self-focused, or whatever. So then Jesus says, a Samaritan came by. <laughs> and, and this is where the story takes an interesting turn because Jews hated Samaritan, Samaritans. They, they viewed Samaritans as being half-breeds, as being outcasts. But Jesus said that this Samaritan went over to the man and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to a place where he could be cared for. So after telling the story, Jesus then asks the expert in the law, so who was a neighbor to this man in need? Well, the answer was obvious. It was the man who was willing to demonstrate love for this person in need. Okay, now now here's what I want us to notice in this story. What What did the Samaritan do in order to love this man who was in need? He simply used the resources he had. He used the resource of time, stopping to help this man. He used the materials he had with him, cloth to bandage the wound and oil and wine. He used his donkey to help transport the man. And then when he got the man to an inn, he gave some money to help. See, the the painful irony of the story is that the priest and the Levite, these religious leaders who supposedly knew God, These two people had similar resources at their disposal, but they chose not to use them. See, what we see in this story is a simple, easily accessible definition of love. Love is using the resources I have to help someone else in need. That's love from Jesus' perspective. That's what love looks like. And so getting back to Acts chapter two, what do we see 
in this passage here. We see these people who are so passionately in love with Jesus that they view all of their resources through the lens of love. I mean, when love is at work in a spiritual family like the church, everyone in that family is asking, how can I use whatever resources I have to help someone else physically or emotionally or spiritually? How can I use whatever resources God has given me to help someone experience Jesus more fully? See, this, this love is at the heart of how Jesus designed the church, his family, to function. It is a place where people who are in love with Jesus want to use their resources to love other people. You see, the reality is in any church family, including ours, there are all sorts of ministry needs all the time. I mean, every week in our services, there are people there who are experiencing loneliness or depression or discouragement or suicidal thoughts or feelings of worthlessness or relational conflicts. There are people there who are hungry to know Jesus better. There are people with financial needs. There are people with physical needs. There are people longing to just be seen and known and valued and accepted. I mean, that's who is part of this church family. That, that, that is a regular reality of people in this church family, which means that there are all sorts of opportunities to minister to people in need by volunteering in one of our many ministries, by being available to listen to someone, by bringing a meal to someone who just had surgery, by, by walking over to someone who looks new and introducing yourself, or offering to pray with someone who's going through a really hard time. There are a myriad of ways and opportunities to minister to people in this church family. Okay, now in light of that reality, which is true in, in any church and certainly our church, in light of that reality, a lot of times the message that pastors in my position often articulate is, hey, we need more workers. We need more volunteers. There are so many needs that we need people to step up and work for the kingdom, right? So often that's how we approach this. But after looking at what's happening in Acts chapter two, I wonder if that kind of appeal actually misses the point. It misses the heart of what's going on in this passage. I was talking with our new worship pastor, Michael, the other day, and he made this comment that I've been thinking a lot about. He said, he said there are lovers and there are workers, and lovers get way more work done than workers. I mean, that is so powerful. You know, I, when I thought about that, I'm, I realized I'm, I'm really not interested in trying to motivate people through guilt or whatever to do more work for the kingdom. I'm interested in inspiring a bunch of lovers of Jesus to let that love flow out of you into the lives of others in your spiritual family, your church family. That's what was happening in Acts chapter two. There were no guilt-ridden appeals to volunteer more or serve more. No, this, that there was this love for Jesus that was bubbling up in people's lives. And when you love Jesus, you want to love his people in whatever ways you can. You want to offer whatever resources you have to minister to and to bless other people to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus, to help them experience more deeply his love for them, to serve them, to meet needs that they might have. That's what lovers of Jesus do. This is all about love. 
And here's the other thing we often forget. It is so much fun to do so. I mean, one of the things that we see in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, I mean, you just see people having a blast, right? I mean, there is this joy in, in being part of the spiritual family and meeting together and bringing food and contributing to the needs of other people. This isn't drudgery. It is so much fun when we get to use our gifts and abilities and resources to bless someone else. It is so much fun. I think of Robin, who loves coming to church early and greeting people. I think of Bill, who regularly comes over to our church, and he weeds our garden beds and plants flowers in the spring. And whenever I see him out there, I try to stop and thank him. And he always says to me, thank you. Thank you for letting me do something that I love as a way to bless this church. I mean, I could give story after story of people in our church involved in ministry and the notes we get of just how much they enjoy seeing children learn things or seeing people impacted or seeing prayers answered or whatever. There is so much joy found in serving. So in light, so in light of all that we've been talking about, the obvious question is, what would keep us from using our resources to serve others? If there's so much awesome stuff in this, what would cause us to miss out on this amazing opportunity to spread the love of Jesus and to experience this joy? Well, the answer to that question, I think the answer is really found back in the story that Jesus told, where the priest and the Levite both walked by this person in need. What caused them to do that? And what causes us to make a similar choice? Well, we don't have time. We don't want to get involved. We've got too much other stuff going on in our lives. Or quite honestly, it's just easier to focus on us. It's easier to settle into this place where life is all about us. And we start viewing our church family through this consumeristic lens. Are my needs being met? Are my children being served well? Are the sermons meeting my needs? Is the music what I like? Are people paying attention to me? Are people noticing me? Look, 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 I'm not saying that our needs are unimportant. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that consumerism and love are mutually exclusive. A consumeristic mindset and love are mutually exclusive. When our needs being met is our highest value, we actually diminish our ability to experience genuine joy as well as our ability to experience deepening relational connection with others. We, we talked earlier in this message about the relational disconnection that so many people experience in our, in our culture. Well, what we're talking about today is one of the reasons why the church can be a unique place for people to experience relational connection. It's because in God's family, everyone is a vital part. In God's family, everyone gets to play. So when we jump in and we use our gifts and resources to serve others, we experience deepening relational connection. There are so many stories like this. We have a video story that's being, being released this week of a, a brother and sister in our church um, who, who moved to Greeley and, and uh, they had heard about our church and they came and they immediately began serving in, in our student ministry. And out of that serving, they now have these amazing relational connections just in a period of six months. So serving is a powerful way to experience relational connection. I mean, the bottom line is consumerism robs us of connection. 
this morning in my quiet time, I was just you know uh, doing my Bible reading, and it happened to be in Paul's letter to Philemon in the New Testament. And, and in this letter, he's encouraging Philemon to do exactly what we're talking about, to use his resources to bless others. And I, I love the language Paul uses here. Check this out. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love, I love this here. He says, your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. I love how Paul describes this. It is, it is in response to God's good gifts to us that we are motivated to love others and serve others. And when we do that, our actions, as Paul says here, our actions refresh the hearts of God's people. That is so cool. There is this beautiful relational dynamic that gets activated when we choose to offer our gifts, our resources to bless someone else. Okay, so there are, there are two practical questions that I want each of us to think about in terms of this idea of mutual contribution and relational connectedness. First question to ask ourselves as we're processing this, here's the question. Is my love for Jesus translating into ministry to others? Is my love for Jesus translating into being expressed as ministry to others? If, if so, that is awesome. And there are so many of you who serve and love so faithfully. Thank you for making a difference. Thank you for making a difference. But for many of us, if we're honest, that doesn't really describe our current reality. We're not fully using our gifts and resources to serve and bless others in the body of Christ. I mean, one of the impacts of this whole COVID pandemic on many churches, um, including ours, is, is an overall decline in serving and engaging. Now, part of that may be due to health concerns about COVID exposure and all that. I totally understand. But, but for others, I think this COVID experience has caused our lives to turn more inward. In the craziness and weariness and stress of this season, it's been easy to settle into a place where being comfortable has become too high of a value and serving others has taken a hit. Now, I'm not saying this to stir up a bunch of guilt. I'm not. I'm saying this as a way to encourage us to just honestly evaluate our lives right now to see if our love for Jesus is accurately reflected in how we are using our resources to bless and serve others in our church family. Now, if you're interested in exploring some ministry opportunities in our church right now, I encourage you to go on our app Use the serving form just to let us know what areas you might be interested in exploring. Or you can always talk with any of our staff members. Okay, so that's the first question. Is my love for Jesus being expressed in ministry to others? And if not, what is Jesus saying to me about that? Here's the second question that I want each of us to kind of ponder here. What resources do I have that I can offer in ministry to others? This is a really powerful question because sometimes we start to fall into this trap of thinking, 
I don't have anything meaningful or helpful to offer to this church or anyone in this church family. I, I don't have that spiritual gift or I don't have a lot of money or I can't sing or I don't have tons of time and on and on. And what can begin to happen is that we start to view our resources through a very narrow lens. And what I want to what I want to encourage all of us to do is to blow that wide open, to break wide open our vision in this area. Because the reality is you and I have way more resources than we often realize. I mean, what what are some of those resources? Well, for one thing, we all have spiritual gifts that God has given to us to use to benefit his family. Um, Paul writes in Romans 12, look at this. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the risk, that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. See, Paul's point here is that God has given each person, each one of us, spiritual gifts to use to bless others. And so he's saying, let's use those gifts. If you have this gift, use it. If you have this ability, use it to bless and refresh and encourage others. Another area of resource, in addition to spiritual gifts, is our possessions, our possessions, the things we own. In Acts 2, people were selling possessions in order to give to someone and others in need. I mean, do we, do we see our possessions as a resource to help others? Do we see our home or our apartment as a place to welcome people in for a meal or if they need a temporary place to stay? I mean, what physical resources, possessions or finances has God given to us as a way to bless others? And what about our resources of time, of expertise, of experiences? The, the, those of us who are older have tons of life experience to offer those who are younger. And so many younger people are looking for mentors. I mean, when you start to blow this up in terms of spiritual gifts, possessions, time, expertise, abilities, just all of that stuff, a listening ear, all of that, you realize that every one of us has so many resources that God has given to us that we can use to bless and help and serve others. But often we don't see things through that lens. But what if we did? What would happen if we did? Can you imagine with me for a moment the kingdom impact of a church family in which everyone Everyone in that family sees their passions and abilities and gifts and possessions through the lens of love, and they joyfully offer those resources to bless and refresh and encourage and help others. Can you imagine the needs that would be met, the children whose lives would be forever impacted, the spiritual growth that would happen in people around you, the relational connectedness, the, the broken and disenfranchised people who would come to know Christ after experiencing this kind of love. I mean, that, my friends, is exactly what God wants his church to look like. And the cool thing is, the only way this happens 
is when everyone is contributing. That's the only way this happens, is when everyone is contributing. You know, unlike a a middle school basketball team, in the body of Christ, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. Everyone has a vital part in this family. God has given each of you unique resources that you can use to encourage, to refresh, to help, to bless other people in this body. And when all of us are doing that, watch out. The church becomes the amazing, thriving, loving, high-impact family that God designed it to be. (laughs) That would be awesome. Amen. Well, let's pray. So as you're quieting your heart before the Lord right now, I I want you to take a moment and think about what Jesus has done for you. The love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the help that he has poured out in your life. Just think about those things. So what is your response to that kind of love? I want to encourage you right now, if you're comfortable, your eyes are closed, if you're comfortable doing this, just to open your hands before the Lord. Which is a posture of just saying to him, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. My abilities, my experiences, my spiritual gifts, my possessions, my time. All that I have is yours. And now in that heart posture, let's just ask the Lord, are there any specific resources that he is in, God is inviting you to use as a way to love him and love his family. What is he laying on your heart? Is it a ministry that needs to start? Is it a, a ministry that that he wants you to like, to begin or to be involved in as a person he wants to reach out to. What, what, what is it? A, what is God laying on your heart? And what does the next step look like for you in that? Is there someone you need to email or make a call or whatever? What is it? What's the next step? Maybe fill out that form I talked about on our app. Well, what is the next step? So Jesus, we offer our lives to you in response to your love for us. We don't want to simply be workers. We want to be lovers who are so passionately in love with you that we joyfully want to serve and bless others in your family. So give us the courage to take that next step and to move toward this kind of love and serving and relational connection. And and Father, we want to pray 
that you would use this teaching series, all five weeks of this, to help us grow in our relational connectedness so that we as a church could more and more live as a thriving family. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.